0: podcast for real people sharing real stories, navigating how to use their gifts in this wild world. Before I jump into today's episode, I just want to tell you something that's been on my mind a lot lately. I've found myself like very consumed with the outcome of everything. (laughs) I mean, like how many people will listen to this podcast? How many people are going to open that email? Why the heck aren't people liking that dumb Instagram picture? finding myself defeated and wondering if, honestly, I'm just not enough for this role or curious of why people aren't getting it or feeling like maybe I'm just failing because I don't raise enough money and the narrative goes on and on. And as I was editing this podcast, I had this realization that I think I've just kind of been missing it. I didn't move to Mexico and leave all the jobs or relocate my entire life to be consumed with outcomes. I did all of that to learn how to live, to remember how to breathe, to be a human being who has moments where, yeah, I'm stoked and moments where I'm not, and to recognize in me this deep desire to care for people and for stories and for lives. Heidi Ochoa is the guest this week. And let me just tell you, this human is a constant reminder of what it means to fully show up in each and every moment. I do have full permission from Heidi to share That I met the Ochoa family when I became Dublin's behavioral therapist and Dublin became one of my best little friends. I have spent hours with the Ochoa family every week for about two years, celebrating breakthroughs, navigating through setbacks, and consistently checking in on physical, mental, emotional health for not only Dublin but for all the Ochoa family who would shape and mold me in so many ways. I would know how Heidi's day was from the moment I walked into their house, mostly because of what she would be drinking. (laughs) Diet Coke in hand if the day was challenging, or water if she was feeling motivated. Heidi is a human of consistency. And I don't mean that she does the same thing in the exact same order because if you know anything about parents of kiddos with autism, you know that's actually not even an option. I mean, Heidi is a consistently caring, thoughtful human who's committed to learning and open to failing and sensitive to her needs and to the needs of those around her. Heidi will make you laugh and think, probably cry a little bit, and then hype you up like no one I've ever met. This podcast is called Finding Light because I truly believe that is what Heidi does so well. She has found the light in having a beautiful son with autism. She is the light in the academic world. She encourages those around her to know what their light is and to use it. I am truly honored and so excited to share a little bit of her story with you.
1: Basically, my story starts off in college I was a chemistry major and the re- reason why I was a chemistry major was because I wanted to live an antisocial life um, my high school experience was so bad if you've seen the movie mean girls you know that that is actually not a funny movie at all it's a real <laughs> depiction of what a lot of girls go through and so I majored in chemistry and I only had one class left and it was public speaking. And I literally considered dropping out of college because of this class. Um, and I uh, I actually called my grandfather and I was like, I think I'm going to drop out. I was going to Orange Coast College. I was like, public speaking just sounds like super intense for me. I don't think that I can do it. Um, and my grandpa was like, I think that's going to be a bad idea. And I was like, why? Um, I I was like, I have a good job. I have an apartment. Like there's really no need, uh, for me to finish this course. And, um, what ended up happening is I got into the course and I like cried my way through it. Like I literally, for my first speech, could not get a single word out. And I snot cried the entire time. And I'm not one of those, like, pretty snot criers. I'm, like, <laughs> like full on, like, snots dripping out of me. So uncomfortable in front of the audience. Even debated dropping the class after that. Uh, but long story short... Uh, I had improved so much by the end of the semester that what ends up happening is I realize like, I'm not as intimidated as I thought I would be. And my teacher recruited me to be on the speech and debate team. And I was like, there's no way that I'll do that. And the next thing you know, I'm on the speech and debate team. I'm obsessed with the voice. I remember... Watching my coach coaching other people Mm -hmm. who had stuttering issues, who had confidence issues, who had, um, self-esteem issues, who had been through trauma. And I was like, oh my gosh, you get to help people discover and embrace their own voice and Mm -hmm. you like get paid for it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Uh, so then I literally became obsessed with the body and voice. Mm -hmm. Um, I, changed my major from chemistry to communication studies and I ended up getting my bachelor's in communications at Cal State Long Beach. And then I realized I definitely want to be a college professor. And then, um, I was again, obsessed. Like when I was in chemistry, I remember kind of reading my books. When I got into communication studies, I was like, I'm reading this from the beginning until the end. I want to know everything. And when i uh went for my master's uh i really you know learned a lot about you know how to communicate in front of an audience in an effective way Mm -hmm. right that was like the sole focus i studied comedy uh for a very long period of time during my master's like almost every paper that i wrote was about a stand-up comedian uh, then I go to work at a community college afterwards and that becomes my focus too, is like teaching people how to communicate in front of audiences, right? Um, and then I have my children and my son, uh, my, my second child, Dublin, uh, is diagnosed with autism and it just like really opened up my understanding of
0: communication. Hmm. Yeah, and I think what I'm hearing, too, is this. One thing really stood out to me, and I haven't heard it from that perspective completely, is you said, I became obsessed with the voice. And I'm curious. I want to hear so much more about Dublin and and this process of relearning communication because autism plays a whole different role in that. I also want to hear more about this idea of voice, having a voice, finding your voice, and being a person who knows how to communicate and how those might tie in or what your thoughts are on the difference between the two. Because I think that was a very interesting distinction you just made. Well,
1: so as a speech and debate coach and as somebody who teaches people how to perform in front of an audience, it's all about being as intentional as you can be in front of an audience. So when you're breaking down communication with a student or with yourself, you're like, why are you moving your hand in that way? It doesn't really compliment what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you're talking about the number two, you may not want to be holding up the number four, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of your communication both in your body and in your voice is very intentional. It's very calculated, right? Um, To the point in which when you're in the world as a performance coach, you end up even allowing yourself to think that everything that is communicated to you is intentional, Mm. right? Even though you know that's not the case, what ends up happening Is like, you think you are better at reading people than you actually are. Mm -hmm. And so when Dublin came and he doesn't use his voice and he doesn't use nonverbal language, that's actually like one of my in the autism world a lot of people say people who are not talk are nonverbal mm-hmm. and for me it's kind of a misuse of the word because when i say somebody's nonverbal that also insinuates that they can communicate nonverbally meaning like they can gesture or you know they can point right and so my son didn't even have those pieces mm-hmm. right and so sometimes finding out what his needs were were not available in this language code, um, vocally or non-verbally, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a really big, and it it still is for my husband and I to like understand Dublin's communication, because what he really communicated to us is that communication is just a replacement for our needs, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and not all of us have those symbols readily available in our minds to use. Right. Um, so for example, like, you know, a Dublin, uh, when we first, when he was really young, he didn't even like point to the things that he wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and we literally had to teach him to point. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dublin really deepened our communication, our, our understanding of communication, because at the end of the day, what we realized is there's a lot of intrapersonal things that are going on, mm-hmm. and that we can't necessarily interpret what people are trying to communicate. In, you know, intention sometimes has nothing to do with it, mm-hmm. right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if that makes sense yeah. or answers your question.
0: Totally. and. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you just said something. Communication. Can you say that again? How you said it? I'm replaying it in my mind over and over. Communication replaces... It's just a replacement of re-articulating a our co- needs. How, co- yeah, how did you means, say that?
1: Right? Communication is just a replacement for communicating our needs, right? So um, I can say I want water, but somebody who doesn't know that phrasing, Mm -hmm. is not going to be able to communicate that, right? Mm -hmm. And so my son, he has to find a different way to utter that because he can't string a full sentence, right? Mm -hmm. And so that might come in the form of a grunt. That might come in the form of crying, right? We have, um, because we have language, we have so many diverse ways of communicating what our needs are. And my son has a limited vocabulary in that sense in that he has to utter. He's now getting a few words, right? But like, the more access to language and code that you have, the more access to getting your needs met mm-hmm. you have, right? And that's really, really powerful.
0: hmm Yeah, especially in a time in our world where I think everyone is fighting for their needs to get met and everyone feels like, one, that's not really happening. And two, it's almost like people have lost the ability to say what they even need. And so part of that, I mean, part of my vision for the Giving Gifts was being a voice for individuals who don't know how to use their voice or don't even know that they have a voice. And it brings me back to... I mean, I will share a little bit and have shared a little bit of how we met, but really it came down to just sitting in your house with your son on the floor and just learning that communication is so much bigger than just words. Sometimes it's just sitting with someone and letting them yell or letting them laugh or letting them use your arm as a train track, right? There's all of these forms of communication that are happening around us and I think individuals with autism are such a beautiful depiction of what that can look like. I mean, so how has having a son with autism who is this light in this world, I mean, he he can make people laugh harder that any comedian I've ever experienced, he can make people experience so much joy and happiness without using his words. I mean, so how has having this son um, reoriented how you view communication?
1: In so many ways. But I, I actually kind of want to go back to what you're saying about the value in sitting with someone and being with who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband and I, prior to Dublin's diagnosis, we were working 50 to 60 hours a week. Uh, I definitely felt like I was part of a machine, Mm -hmm. you know, in, and we were speech and debate coaches. So a lot of our behavior was controlled by competition. Mm -hmm. You know, it was input, output, input, output, reward, reward, reward. Oh, you didn't get a reward. How do we fix that? Right. And so we, and all of our colleagues, you know, we joke all the time about at the very beginning of an academic year, it's like getting onto a treadmill again. Mm -hmm. Um, And you become to this point, and this brings us back to the communication piece where you start just polishing everything around you Mm -hmm. and you're not really listening to anything around you. You know, it's just, you're, you're just sort of rinse and repeat, like, oh, this needs to be fixed. I'm going to fix it moving on. And you you get to a point where you're not with anyone anymore. You're just kind of doing it in a very isolated way. It's like Mm -hmm. weird. My husband and I were working together, but, like, didn't spend a lot of time together. And you realize in that you're not taking care of your own needs either. Mm -hmm. So the devil comes along and we realize – wait, if we don't sit and listen to him, we're not going to get his basic needs met. And then we realize, oh, shit, our basic needs aren't being met, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like this really powerful way of understanding that we've got all this code that we're using, but it's not serving us, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's the piece of, now, mind you, My husband and I, for a living, coach people to speak in front of an audience, right? So I teach people how to use their hands on the right word. I teach people how to do a pause before a joke. I teach people how to make direct eye contact. And now I have a son who might actually physically be harmed by direct eye contact. Mm -hmm. And then that also changed blew up the way I taught and mm-hmm. Lucas will tell you this too is that you, now I'm no longer looking at my students as oh he just didn't rehearse mm-hmm. oh he just didn't practice oh he just didn't do the homework that deficit model of oh it's the student not complying to the standard or the student not trying it it now is oh the student has a sensitivity to eye contact. Mm-hmm. Oh, the student is actually manifesting some serious, powerful feelings right now, right? So it's like, it, it, Dublin literally just brought us this like wealth of knowledge of our own mental health, of our own spiritual health. And then also, you know, I really do think expanded the way in which we could really reach and connect to students, Um, because Mm -hmm. I have to say, I was one of those teachers at the very beginning of my career that was like, well, didn't do your homework. And then I realized, oh my gosh, no, like that homework was not delivered to you in a way that was accessible for you. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Let me fix that. You know what I mean? Mm
0: -hmm. Which is huge. Yeah. And I will articulate that over and over. And I was not planning on sharing this, but I'm actually auditing, um, a master class right now. And. I've not ever been a person. I've never been a person who has succeeded in the academic world. And I can write a paper. I can do a presentation, but put a test in front of me. And I just get so anxious and struggle and have all the tools in the box to to work through it. And so I'm in this class and um, it's a class on uh, gender violence right now is what we're learning. So it's a trauma care class. And, um, I took a test and got the test back. And the first thing I read was you failed. And I just sat there thinking, you know, I think so many people think that just because you're passionate about something or just because you work really hard at something or just because, um, yeah, you're, you're trying means that you're going to do well. And in actuality, that doesn't always mean that. It doesn't always equate to that. And I sat there thinking, oh my gosh, like this is why I don't feel equipped sometimes because this academic world of testing, of saying this is when you are enough, has always told me I'm not enough and has always told me, like, you failed. Literally, I failed. And... So there's a whole world that tells you when you're enough for something, and a lot of people don't fit into that. Or
1: they have to, and it's, okay, so at the beginning I was sort of second guessing starting from my starting point, but this is why it's important, is when I became obsessed with the voice, I became obsessed with polishing it in a way that was palatable to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people in education don't feel like they belong, but then they start doing these fake moves to show it. And then once they arrive, they feel like an imposter in that space Mm -hmm. because they've been polishing whatever that is too, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's also been like a huge lesson for me is like, you know, just because I sound polished in front of a room doesn't mean that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And how is it that we can learn from people who are expressing anxiety in the moment of those educational spaces mm-hmm. to grow from where they're at mm-hmm. rather than to imitate what everybody else is doing. The, the standards that we have created and have forced people to imitate have not been healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, And so that's why Dublin was also powerful is he's brought us to the space of going, wait, education is actually literally this divisive standard where we have pushed some people out. But what we need to do is go, wait, the people that we've pushed out, they're actually the people that we should be building our education system out of. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that, you know, we have to think about how education is not serving them and not why they're here,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So your relationship with your son has totally changed and transformed how you show up as a professor. Mm-hmm. It, has show, it has changed and transformed how you have shown up in your expertise, even, um, and your educational background has all been transformed around your son. Um, I also know that it has impacted how you, how you parent, how you s- relate to your partner, how you show up for friends. Talk to me a little bit about that too and that transformation that has occurred because of Dublin. <laughs> a light question. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and I, it could go in so many ways, you know, um, like with my husband again, I, it, you know, I say it again, like again, I don't know why that came out so weird. Um, like, like, I feel like with, uh, my husband, it was really about finding out who he is, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I think both of us had... Ex- well, not I think. We both had severe amount of anxiety prior to getting married because of our own mm-hmm. personal traumas. And then when you're parenting and you realize your children are in pain and they can't communicate to you, it brings up some stuff. Mm-hmm. And so then you start re-
0: re-getting to know everybody. When you have so many different demands on your life and people in your life, it becomes really complicated to decipher what's important in the time, in right now, what's important right now. And I think, um, you know, something I've seen you do really well over the last, I don't know, oh my goodness, five years? Yeah. Five years was deal with life when it shows up in ways that were unexpected because Dublin is an expert of showing up in ways that were unexpected in both beautiful and challenging ways right and we You and I share the common thing of not wanting to say good or bad ways, but beautiful and challenging ways. Mm -hmm. And so one thing you're an actual, I believe, an expert at is managing life when it's showing up in unexpected ways. And for a lot of people, the last two years have been huge glimpses of that. For everyone, our lives have been shook a little bit. And so I think for so many people... Everyone, I would say, is navigating how to show up in friendships, how to show up in family, how to show up with our kids, with our jobs, with all of these different aspects when we're all personally hurt and offended and sad and grieving certain things. The cool thing is you've been doing this a little bit longer than everyone. (laughs)
1: And. This is actually it's documented by a number of special needs parents um that when COVID happened, many of us were like, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not to sound insensitive, but we have been isolated, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. We've we've had to stay at home, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so there were a lot of things that And we have to deal with the unexpected all the time. I mean, you can be on your way to a funeral and then realize you can't make it because your mm-hmm. son's not comfortable. Um, and that's actually one thing with Dublin that has been really hard for me is I'm a problem solver. <laughs> and problem solvers are sometimes trying to fix things too quickly, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that that's a challenge that I experience but Dublin has also, you know, taught me so much about friendship because, you know, friendship is about being there even when someone's super sad, mm. you know, or being there when someone's not easy to be around.
0: Yeah. You know? seeing seen you, gosh, I've seen you do that so well. And... When I watch you do that, there's a common theme, too, where you have to almost put aside your knowledge and your degrees and your experience and really commit to being okay and comfortable with failing. hmm Would you say that's true? Oh, totally. <laughs>
1: I actually do not believe that any success comes without failure. I mean, even it, going back to my public speaking days, I literally choked, I literally choked in front of an audience. My very first job interview for teaching, I um, I was on antibiotics for strep throat and I went to go do my very first job interview and it was in front of a bunch of my old mentors because it was the college that I had gone to uh, when I was in undergrad. and. I was in the middle of my teaching demonstration and just got a bloody nose. And I was so struck by it that somebody with a communications master's at this point, somebody with tons of speech and debate experience, I couldn't talk. I was just so embarrassed, right? Um, And it was that moment where, you know, I sort of like the phoenix, you know, it's like, that's when I really started after that interview started going like, okay, what happened? Why couldn't I overcome that moment? Like I should have just been able to wipe the blood off and keep going. And, and I, I just had to stop. I I couldn't finish my interview. You know what I mean? Um, why was I so hung up on that shame of having a bloody nose? You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it was through that failure that I was able to look inward and go, there's something I need to get in touch with because that was not a, a a strong response to a bloody nose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, like failure is huge, mm-hmm. and you need to be used to failing publicly, like that. It, you know, you mm-hmm. just do, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and that's not just a lesson for people who speak in front of an audience. It's like the biggest tool for a leader, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not only important for others to see you fail as a leader, but it's also important for you to be in touch with what a stutter looks like in front of a group that you're leading.
0: Oh my goodness. I just think we have so many little nuggets here of just pure Heidi wisdom. So I'm so excited. And honestly though, here's what I want to, I'm just sitting here a little bit even overwhelmed with gratitude because I think it's a really rare thing that you start a relationship with a person in their most vulnerable state. And that is really what I got to do with you um, by you inviting me into your house almost on a daily basis at one point um, and allowing me to see the way that you would break with your husband or break with your daughter or break with your son. And, um, the way that you would unravel in order to build up that you are just a person who's so committed to loving people. Well, that you're saying, unravel like whatever it is that's in me, that's keeping me from seeing this person, help me see this person. And, I think generally when we meet people, we see the best version of them, whether that's teaching or whether that's, you know, your career or your education. There's so, so much of that. But to get to see first and foremost, the way that you show up as a mom and the way you show up as a wife and the way that you show up as a friend and as a mentor and all of these things, there's a consistency there that is so unique to most people I've ever met. I mean, you are consistently who you are. And that is a person who loves so generously. Um, That is a person who is dedicated and committed to, to really learning, to really learning always. And not just for the sake of, you know, a degree or a title, but for the sake of humanity. And I am so honored to like be learning from how you learn because I think it just has such an impact. And I think the way that you allow your experiences to teach you rather than expertise to lead you is just something I always come back to. So I am just so thankful for that. I'm also so thankful that you have found what your gifts are and you apply them in every single way in every single area that you recognize your gift is not just like your strength or what you're good at. Your gift is actually this wholeness of who you are and that that's applied to how you show up with your son. And that's applied to how you show up with parents. And that's applied to how you show up with me and this time and this space. And so I'm just so thankful. (laughs) Baby,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm thankful for you, and you know
0: this. <laughs> Have a smile today. Listen to this joke I made. Mean. Thanks for joining me. Go and spread the joy. something we would do every single session with Dublin. I would look at him and say, Dublin, say, I'm amazing. And he would say, I'm amazing. And Heidi would run into the room. (laughs) And she would say, what about me? (laughs) (laughs) So I would look at Heidi and say, Heidi, say, I'm amazing. Yes, you are. Thanks for listening to the Give gifts, Like, share, and subscribe. This show is the share. Spread some love and joy. Know that you're a gift.